Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Welcome back to To The Point Cybersecurity. I am one of your co-hosts, Erica Pierce, and joined as always by Eric Trexler. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing great, Erica. Another exciting episode. Yeah, well, this is a good one. So I think we're both really excited about this one. We have a very special guest. Uh, we have Chris Krebs, who is the director of the Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Infrastructure Security Agency, um, better known as CISA. Did I get that all right, Chris? <laughs> Sissa, but Sissa, okay. it's like Sissa like Dissa. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. <laughs> and crazy enough, the name used to be longer, so it, it has a, a shorter yes. name now. So. <laughs> hey, thanks, Erica, and uh, Eric, thanks for having me on. Oh, no, we, no we this will be fun. So let's just jump right in. You know, we like to, again, keep it to the point. So before we go into, I think, what, um, Chris, you probably spent a lot of your days talking about in terms of just, you know, emerging threats and things like that. Out of curiosity, what did you think this would be your, your public career when you were growing up? Or what did you think you would, be, you would become? I, I think when I was growing up, I don't think anybody <laughs> outside of like Cliff Stoll and those guys uh, knew much of what cybersecurity was. I, I was... Uh, I think I wanted to, this is horrible. I can't believe I'm about to say this. Um, I think I wanted to be a lawyer uh, <laughs> because that's what my grandfather was. And I thought he had a, uh, a cool office <laughs> and it's, he seemed important. Um, and then, you know, kind of as I got into high school and all that, I thought I was going to be like an Olympic uh, uh, track and field athlete. I, I, I uh, was in the, I participated um, in the pole vault and then went to college on a, scholarship for a track in the pole vault. And then I just soon realized I was like, I don't know, that's, that's, that's a lot of work. I, uh, I'm not sure that's where I want to go. So, um, lo and behold, end up in, uh, Washington DC, uh, right around and right before, um, nine 11. And at that point to me, my career was kind of laid out in front of me, not necessarily as a, uh, cybersecurity, uh, agency director, but, you know, in the national security mission, uh, protecting the homeland. Very cool. Did not see that one coming. Yeah, Chris. me neither. <laughs> what was your highest altitude or jump? Uh, I, I think it was uh, 15 two. So 15 feet. Wow. Two inches. So high school level, you know, in, in Georgia, particularly, that's not bad. Um, there were certainly people that were doing a lot higher. Uh, and then, it, it, you know, I think it the the the. I've lost track of what the world record is, but it's like 21, 22 feet. Uh, when I was, uh, you know, competing, uh, Sergey Bubka, well, uh, a Russian, uh, was was the the top of the uh, top of the global heap, and uh, it was always fascinating watching these guys. Just, just you know, the heights to which they would go is it's really unbelievable. Just with a uh, you know a, a little stick of fiberglass. I'm scared of heights, so that would not <laughs> be for me. I'll stay on the ground. Yeah, I, I should be scared of heights, but oh well. So I would I wonder which which is more challenging your uh, your current job or being a potential Olympian. So <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think there are many days when I'd rather be back doing that. Uh, but I think I've got the the best job uh, uh, in the world, but also the most frustrating job in the world, the most 
challenging job in the world, but also the most rewarding uh, job. I think, you know, any day I can get up and, you know, I just, it's exciting to, to lead a team uh, of folks that work here at the Cyber and Infrastructure Security Agency, really committed men and women, uh, patriots all. Uh, it, it's just, it's an honor to lead them. Uh, we're doing important work every day. And, um, you know, there's so much more to be done and, uh, we're going to, you know, that's the thing that I get up and, and I, uh, it brings me into the office. It's not the stuff we're already nailing down. It's the stuff that needs to be done. It's the things that we haven't developed the solution sets for, and is really going to take both uh, a lot of intellectual capital, but also a lot of sweat equity. So in a given day or week, what's a win? I mean, you're fighting this, you know, everlasting battle. It's, you know, the adversary against us. It's tough. What does a win look like? So, you know, there's really no um, standard day, uh, given kind of the the active uh, threat landscape, the players that are always kind of testing and pro- prob- uh, probing and prodding. I think, you know, just a, a small average win or vote of success, you know, kind of um, metric of success for me is when I get somebody, whether it's the private sector or a federal agency or state and local government that reaches out and said, Hey, thanks. You guys helped me. You helped me out. You made me, uh, you helped me get more secure. Mm -hmm. That is ultimately we're trying, what we're trying to achieve at scale, uh, here at the agency. So for us, you know, given kind of the unique nature of our, uh, our authorities. We, we don't have regulatory powers. We don't have a lot of sticks to compel people to do certain things, particularly in the private sector. So everything we do has to be very kind of customer service oriented, very focused on delivering uh, some measure or degree of value to our partners. Because otherwise, why would they work with us? They're not going to work with us out of, um, you know, anything that that doesn't you know, give them a positive feedback experience. So we've got to keep understanding across this diverse landscape of the private sector and state and local governments where we think the pain points are, where the market failures are, use the unique capabilities of the federal government. Uh, and that includes really exquisite intelligence. And, and how do we bring that to bear uh, and help the those risk managers, whether it's a CISO or a general counsel uh, or a CSO or whatever, you know, when they're making their day-to-day decisions on how they manage their risk, making sure that we're doing it in a way where they're not making decisions either on uh, imperfect information or making it, you know, kind of in a, in a, in a vacuum. Well, and you mentioned local partners. So, you know, lately there's been a, a few attacks on, on, on cities, ransomware attacks. There's uh, Atlanta was last year, um, Baltimore most recently. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I actually listened to a podcast about the Baltimore attack um, that the New York Times did and really broke it down. And it was fascinating. But so what do you think about this, this problem here with these, this, these attacks on cities? And I mean, what do we do to address this in the long term? Because in Baltimore, I know they essentially, locked out the whole, you know, the city for, you know, uh, weeks. So, you know, in the, in the bucket of things that are keeping me up at night right now, this is definitely in it. I think what we're seeing is the last, you know, two years or maybe starting about six months ago, the preceding two years of 
uh, ransomware attacks were more than anything kind of startup season for a lot of the the cyber criminals that were launching these attacks, trying to figure out what worked. They really started at at a very low level of you know I'll unlock you for ten grand, and mm-hmm. that I think the, with the operators fairly unsophisticated. Um, trying to figure out what their business model was and staying below the radar of uh, federal law enforcement. You know, you start going big, then you start a- attracting a lot of attention. And then I think the the business model probably proved out or they got enough buyouts where they could go invest in themselves. And these are the criminals we're talking about. They can invest in their capabilities, invest in their uh, infrastructure, their own infrastructure and resources. And now you have some pretty sophisticated organizations, in some cases actually with uh, – you know, customer service capabilities, you know, a 1-800 equivalent uh, phone line. So so I think this is here to stay. And I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, absent some pretty significant shifts. So I um, I tend to look at it, this growing kind of scourge of, of ransomware as uh, there are a few things we I think we can do is that the federal government, first off, you know, the, the law enforcement community is going to continue to pursue these actors relentlessly. The F- Department of Justice indicted um, a couple actors associated with the SamSam ransomware last fall. And to my knowledge, and this is you know at least based on my last conversation with DOJ and the FBI, uh, once they indicted and they disrupted that infrastructure, there have been no further SamSam infections or, or, or you know takeovers. So you know that shows you that that the law enforcement mechanisms can, can work. But I think we need to do a lot more on the front end that kind of left of boom or in the prevention space to, uh, to slow down and ultimately minimize these, these, these ransomware attacks. I think there are kind of uh, a few things that I think need to happen there. First and foremost, I still think, and just like we do in the federal government, I think there's some governance challenges that exist in federal and state local government. So a city CIO, may not actually have the mandate or remit to compel uh, an agency, you know, a city agency to take a certain action. So a police department may not have to listen to the city CIO to say, hey, you need to go patch that system. Um, so we've got a budget, a- right, Chris? Well, that's the second part is budget. You know, um, you know, I don't have the budget to retire that mainframe system. I need uh, resources to, to whether get to the cloud or get to more modern operating systems. So resources, absolutely. And then ultimately, it's it's just follow through. It's a relentless and aggressive pursuit of, of maintaining the appropriate uh, cyber posture, which, you know, I, I hate saying it that way, but it, it, it unfortunately is kind of like that's the, the parlance these days. But, you know, really what we're recommending right now, um, multi-factor authentication, segmentation across the network to keep the adversary from from lateral movement and uh, back up, back up, back up. <laughs> uh, and it kind of across the top of all this is just good email and password management practices. You know, three main things they're using right now um, is spear phishing, credential spraying and uh, cred, or password spraying and cred stuffing. And these are just simple tactics. Uh, the Iranians in particular are pretty active using this approach right now, not necessarily related to ransomware, but just some of their their overarching techniques. Um, but just good practices that are they're, they're basic cyber hygiene practices that, that, that you can implement to, to defeat most of this stuff. It's amazing. We just did a consumer based podcast the last couple of weeks. 
talking about the exact same basics. <laughs> I was thinking the for, same thing. For yeah. mom or for dad. So this is the tricky part, right? I mean, what do you tell what do you tell the consumer or the, you know, what do I tell my mom or my dad? Don't click on that email. It's just not realistic right now. So we've got to get I think a couple basics in place. Um, run a modern operating system, use a name brand, and I'm using air quotes here, and I'm the, use a name brand email. Uh, and but but you know, take that extra 30 seconds if there's an email that looks a little weird or you're not expecting an attachment. Um, always have that extra kind of layer of suspicion when you see attachments or links. Okay. Ultimately, I hope we can get to an environment where where we've we've taken care of the spear phishing and um, and just general phishing problem. Uh, I, I think we're 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 going to get there, but it's going to take the tech community to continue upping their game, which they are. Um, but, but we're, we're, you know, I think we're on the right track. We just, you know, continue moving aggressively. We're certainly not doing it fast enough, but let's, but what I'd love to do is switch gears. How about, let's talk a little bit about China. What do you think, Erica? <laughs> Let's go for it. I actually have a, a quick story on China. On Friday, um, I got one of those announcements on my um, iPhone that says someone's trying to access your your phone, your u- Apple user ID from another p- place that's not your your home. And so it was actually it was in China. So, huh. <laughs> so not that I have anything they want, but it would just happen to me on Friday where I had to go through the whole process where you change all your passwords because you know if you're an Apple person, it's all connected, but. Just yeah. got that on Friday. Yeah, I mean, it, it shows that, uh, you know, obviously not knowing the specifics of your case, but, uh, you know, right now it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, online is potentially the front line. And, you know, everybody's got a part to play right now um, in, in our, you know, with this concept or we're pushing a collective defense. So, so Chris, 5G is is one of the biggest technologies right now that we're we're debating in policy technology. We're trying to bring it to market. How do we, you know, we we've spent as the U.S. we've spent a lot of time talking about security vulnerabilities that are potentially in foreign made products. How do we explain that to the layperson? You know, somebody in the middle of America, somebody who is maybe making a buying decision and looking at the, the, the price of the equipment is a lot cheaper or anywhere in the world, really, when they don't understand cybersecurity, they don't understand some of the risks that they may be getting by buying foreign made technology. Well, so it, it depends on how you define foreign and how you classify foreign made technology. But, you know, in the case right now of China, one of the primary concerns that we have, it really kind of resolves down to control, control of the system, control of the network. So in the case of China, um, it's an authoritarian state that is over the last several years, and I'm not talking just one or two years, but decade plus, it's demonstrated significant um, adversarial actions uh, against us. And that includes uh, you know, as corporate espionage, uh, cyber enabled theft, um, cybersecurity, t- uh, targeting of hard infrastructure. And that includes things like pipelines, um, that, you know, there is a degree of intentionality uh, where they, they are trying to come at us and get after and steal our, uh, economic capability, which logically makes sense. Yeah. So, so that's number one. And then if you consider the way that the world actually works in China is there's not much of 
what we actually think of as the private sector. So a lot of these companies are just extensions of the government themselves. So it's just one, uh, one body uh, with different kind of hats they're wearing. And so when you combine this demonstrated activity, um, the fact that the private sector, what is guys is, are you know, cloaked in the private sector is actually just an extension of the government. Why on earth would we entrust those organizations with building out our communications infrastructure where they control everything from the, you know, the ones near zeros that'll flow over um, or the actual ability to control whether the network is up or down? Uh, I, I think that is the simplest case that I would make. Um, then you can add in just the quality of the product, the United Kingdom's, uh, Huawei oversight board report from earlier this year was pretty, pretty damning in its assessment of the quality of engineering over the last 10 years. And, and moreover, after repeated, um, uh, repeatedly pointing out the lack of good quality engineering, the lack of commitment or demonstrated improvement by, in, in the case of Huawei. So it's not just that they are um, perhaps operating on behalf of the government. It's also they're not doing a really good job in making their kit. And that's not just going to be a China problem. That becomes an everybody problem mm -hmm. because uh, that means there are vulnerabilities that any halfway capable actor, Russia, Iran, criminal organization or other uh, could exploit. So again, you know, to the extent we can manage our risk, um, it would be, you know, controlling the network or or working with an organization that we have a little bit more trust in, and that they've actually demonstrated a degree of trustworthiness. That and that's just what we're we're not seeing right now with a, a number of these companies coming out of China. Yet, so many countries and companies still buy the technology. Yeah, network. So you've you've mentioned a couple things. One is the low cost uh, of the equipment, and I actually would say it depends on what you're talking about. If you're talking in the initial upfront uh, procurement, maybe, but I think those numbers are changing a little bit. But I'd also look at the life cycle costs. You know, ten to fifteen years. What are the ultimate uh, the the total costs in maintaining that equipment, maintaining that network? If the quality is not there, it's degrading. It requires. Uh, additional maintenance uh, and uh, you know O and M, then that's a that's a that's a different cost we need to look at down the road. Plus, you've also got the issue that some of these networks that are being built out have 4G LTE legacy equipment already there, and 5G is not necessarily just a rip and replace. It's building on top of uh, the existing infrastructure because you're still going to have devices that communicate at different layers or levels. Um, so. You know, what we, we have to continue pushing is, is this concept of, A, who controls the network, B, uh, what are the life cycle costs, the full life cycle costs. And then there's an additional piece here of just really calling it out for what it's worth. But um, again, this is a, uh, you know, the, these, these the whether it's under the Belt and Road Initiative, this global campaign by China to push, you know, transfer tech and uh, buy into and, and, and own a lot of the uh, development in Africa, uh, South America, and elsewhere through low, you know, you talked about low cost, but also just the, the uh, financial incentives they are putting together. You know, talking 125% financing for a fully integrated tech stack for comms build out. For a lot of folks, that would look pretty appealing until you look at, you know, okay, what are the 
kind of unseen costs that come along with that, in, including the fact that, you know, a company with potentially hostile interest to my own uh, own my network. Right. You didn't even mention the cost of loss of IP or or any other threats that may p- appear in the future. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of folks are just saying, eh, little old me, China, you know, they're, I'm not, I'm not a concern or they're not going to target me. And that the fact is with the capabilities that everyone's developing, just the, the, the machine learning and, and artificial intelligence capabilities that are just over the horizon, you know, everybody's data sets potentially in play. That's so true. So true. To, to go just in one other direction, <laughs> you know, election security, um, Chris, is something that we're, we're hearing a lot about. I know it's been something you have um, been very focused on and the agency has. And so, you know, what what's happening there? I mean, we obviously are gearing up for, for 2020. Um, I've even seen the, the hashtag protect 2020, you know, out there. So, I mean, what's what what's happening in, on that front in terms of how we can um, protect um, our our, our our elections today and tomorrow. Yeah. So I, this is one of the top priorities for the agency, uh, right now. Um, we're, as of now, we are building on the progress we made, uh, defending the, the midterm 2018 election. So you have to keep in mind that when we started these efforts back in 2016, when it really became clear what the Russians were, were trying to do, there wasn't a election security program here at the Department of Homeland Security or in my agency. There weren't the relationships with secretaries of state or local counties. Uh, I, I, I don't think we even realized that there was something called the Election Assistance Commission within the federal government. So over that that period of time from 16 to November of 18, we spent a lot of calories out on the road, developing capabilities, targeting capabilities to these stakeholders. And by the 2018 election, we had all 50 states and 1,400 local jurisdictions uh, working with us, which is which was which was a great uh, amount of progress. Uh, but there's still a lot of work to do here because you know, in one case, you've got 8,800 local jurisdictions out there, and we're working with 1,400 of them. So we've we've got a delta we have to close out there. The other is just still the prevalence of uh, electronic voting systems out there that don't have a parallel paper, uh, voter verifiable paper trail. So it's, it's kind of hard to audit some of these systems. Um, and so when we look forward to uh, 2020, our top three priorities, first and foremost, continue to uh, engage at the local level, get, get out there to as many of those uh, local jurisdictions as possible and continue to work with those 50 states and other large jurisdictions. So that's number one. Number two, is continue helping agencies push towards auditability uh, as much and as fast as possible, and that includes getting a, a you know a paper trail alongside the the vote the the vote. And then the third is once you got the paper trail and we've got auditability, let's audit. Let's make sure that we're putting those audit processes in place. Uh, so just three three quick examples of the things we're doing, but we'll continue with our our. Um, uh, basic offering of vulnerability assessments, uh, uh, vulnerability scanning, uh, just basic capabilities to help raise the the baseline for a lot of these communities out there, including things like phishing campaign. We've already talked about phishing uh, awareness, but that's one of the the top uh, offerings that that we're providing to a lot of these jurisdictions out there. 
uh, just, Hey, here's what a, here's what a spear fish or a fishing email looks like. Here's what you can do to protect yourself. So Chris, I wanted to, I, I just want to wrap up. We, you know, we want to keep it to the point here. We, we've talked ransomware. We've talked election security, product security, China, Russia, um, individuals. What do you do for fun? Like you're working so hard. What do you do for fun? Uh, I was going to say, you must have lots of free time. Yeah. (laughs) Plenty, at least 20 minutes a day. (laughs) Yeah. So I've got, um, you know, I I try to strike the right balance between work and, and, uh, the home front. I've got, I got a bunch of kids, five in fact. And so, (laughs) you know, it's, it really is making sure that I can, uh, be uh, focused at work, but also be able to come home and and be the the kind of dad I need to be. And I I, I, I will never claim success in that. Uh, it's tough. But in the meantime, um, part of this is also making sure that that you know I'm in a good you know I'm I'm right right you know I'm feeling healthy and able to focus at work. So it's funny back in the uh, the shutdown, and I'll admit the shutdown I think was a pretty was a pretty tough spot for uh, everyone in the federal government that it, that that, that uh, experienced it. But here, um, we were doing a lot of important work supporting elections. We were just uh, in the process of really kicking off and standing up what this agency is all about. And so I think a lot of us were, were, were a little bit in a rut. And one thing that I had done for about six or seven years was um, commuted by bike. I had ridden, you know, rode my bike a lot, including coming into work. And, um, I had gotten out of that habit over the first, you know, year and a half, almost two years since I'd been here at DHS, just because at one point I was, uh, at an office that was probably too far away and didn't have the facilities. And then, you know, I just hadn't gotten back into it. So what I said was, I'm going to get back into it, started, uh, riding my bike again. And, you know, so when I think about (laughs) what do I do for fun beyond my kids, I try to get out there and get a few miles in. Uh, at the very least commute, but it, part of it's about clearing my head, being able to get back into it, whether clearing my head for walking in the door home or walking in the office here. But I'll say this, there are some times, whether it's, you know, a 15 uh, degree morning or a 97 degree uh, day that, that a good bike ride into work can clear your head better than a cup of coffee. So uh, I'll keep doing that for as long as I'm, I'm, I'm able physically to. What do you think, Erica? 15 degrees. Ready for it? <laughs> uh, no, this Louisiana girl, definitely not. But uh, I'll say this. You have a big job and, you know, it really impacts all of our lives. So you, th- if that's what you need <laughs> to yeah. have a clear mind. That is awesome. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> well, thanks so much, guys. It's been fun. Uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. We appreciate, we definitely appreciate you taking time out of your day. And um, to all our listeners out there, we hope this you enjoyed the episode. Please definitely continue to subscribe and please rate us on iTunes and let us know who you'd like to uh, hear from next. Until next week, To The Point Cybersecurity. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store. 